Some of you looking at the title of today's sermon may be thinking to yourself, oh no, has the pastor been spying in on my family? Let me assure you, when it comes to dysfunctional, dysfunctional family fruit, I do not need to explore other families. Mine is sufficient, but I want you to understand that your family is not the only one that has its dysfunctions, and I've shared many times now that in the Old Testament, these patriarchs, these father of the faith that we look at, are not necessarily models of morality. Remember, who is our model for morality? Jesus is the only one without sin, and any good that a person has is only to point to and reflect Jesus. But what these men are instead are models of reality. And so, you will find, hey, they are a lot like me. They are a lot like our family. And as we begin this chapter of, uh, of the book of Genesis, we'll find that it becomes steadily worse in the dysfunction uh, of the blessed family. I mean, this is the blessed family, you know? These are the ones that God's going to use to bless the entire nation. This is the one that Messiah's going to come from, after all. This is the one that the law of God's going to come through. But why are they so dysfunctional? (laughs) You know, I I just understand these things. Growing up in a pastor's home, folks have the same kind of persona about pastor's family that, uh, well, they're just different. You know, they just, you know, their son shouldn't do these things and their daughter shouldn't do these things. And, and, you know, on Sunday morning when they get to church, it's just all music playing in the background and harmony and everybody smiling, coming to church, you know. Let me just share with you, half my, a part of my family's not here because one threw up right before breakfast and, and we're trying to figure out how we're going to get all the details covered and who's covering for Sunday school. And I mean, it's just, you know, it's just like yours. And we're going to look at Isaac and we'll find out, you know, this looks awfully familiar. I've seen this before. But uh, in this dysfunctional family, we're going to look at a few voices. And in fact, every single one of the, the main characters of the family have some problem have some say in the dysfunction it's not just one person it's the entire clan the whole group of them are having problems and uh and i'm going to bring to you that the problem was is with god and so when the problem is with god first remember last week i kind of looked at how when there are problems among people that are the heart there is spiritual problems and that's true in the family that when there's problems among one another at the heart there is a problem with god in each one of them and so you've got that going on here uh, in this family and we're going to look at them and we're going to look at four different voices and that's how we're going to look at this this is, this is a good long portion we're going to start with the last two verses of chapter 26 uh, verse 34 and 35, do all of chapter 27, uh, and, and we're going to find that there's, uh, well, there's 46 verses of 27. We're going to look at the first nine verses of chapter 28 and try to cover this whole scene. Uh, so consequently, we're not going to read this out loud and have you stand up the entire time. Um, it is a good length to it. Uh, but just, I want you to take note how it begins. Verse 34 and 35, Esau... 40 years old, same as his daddy when he got married, took a wife, uh, a Hittite, and took a second wife, a Hittite, verse 35. They were a grief 
of mine, literally bitterness of spirit, unto Isaac and to Rebekah. And then if you flip over to the last few verses that we're going to look at today, verse 8 and 9, chapter 28, Esau, seeing that the daughters of Canaan pleased not Isaac his father, then went Esau unto Ishmael and took him to the wives which he had Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, the sister of Nebajoth, to be his wife. And so you have within our story two bookends that encapsulates the story of what we're going to be looking at. And they both revolve Esau and his wives. And so Esau will be the last person that we look at this morning. And uh, the first person we're going to look at, we're going to start right with the father and all this. But we have dysfunctional family. Just keep in mind, there are four voices, and we're going to look at why they're dysfunctional and how first it began with being dysfunctional with God. Now, here is the story in a nutshell. All right? You keep your Bibles open because we're going to be referring, but this is just the main plot. Uh, if you remember, uh, young, early on in life, Jacob and Esau, Jacob tricked Esau with stew to give up his birthright. And Esau, being a hungry man, not caring too much about the birthright, said, sure, let me have some stew. Gave up the birthright. Remember what's special about this birthright? Birthright, generally in that day and time, meant that you inherited all the, the major blessings of the family, the material blessings. But this family had the blessings of God. And that this would be the one God would use to impact the world. And so it was a very unique birthright. Esau cared very little bit about it and just traded it for stew. Time has passed. And Isaac now is at, uh, well, he's somewhere uh, estimated around 137 years old at this point. That's a good old age. He's thinking, you know what? I don't know how much time I have left. In fact, his brother Ishmael died at 137, his half-brother. Uh, and so he's thinking, all right, well, maybe that's going to be my time. So he's thinking, I'm going to uh, do my final blessings. Now, remember, when Jacob and Esau were, was born, there's a lot of turmoil going on in Rebekah. Rebekah didn't know what was going on. There's kicking and, and pushing and, and violent with one another. And it was revealed to her uh, according to Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, that there was two nations that was within her that they were going to fight and that the younger would be over the older. And so <clears throat> usurping the normal role of how things work. <clears throat> and so that was a prophecy by God given to Rebecca. Surely Isaac would have known these things. He would have been aware of these. In fact, Isaac could have been the one that God used to reveal this to Rebecca, or it could have been his dad, Abraham. But nonetheless, he pretends like there's nothing going on with that. That's not really going to happen because he gets a tendency toward Esau. Esau is a hairy man. Uh, he is an outdoors man. Uh, he likes to hunt, and he's good at hunting, and he prepares this game, this wild game. And it just so happened that that's Isaac's favorite dish. And so he starts to like more so Esau than Jacob. He starts playing favorites. Jacob is the homebody. He is the one that just likes to cook. He helps out the mom and it helps around the house. And so Rebecca starts favoring Jacob. Bells go off here. Okay? Bells go off. When we start playing sides, problems arise. It's true in your family. It's true in any group. It's true in any group. When you start playing sides, and I've seen that happen in the church, when we start playing sides, 
problems occur. All right? And so you've got that going on with uh, with these two, Jacob and Esau. And so as it gets time to the blessing, Isaac's thinking, you know what? I'm, I'm going to bless somebody. I like Esau. And it's as if he doesn't care what goes on with what God has said. And so he, he says, you know what, Esau? I'm about to go. I want you to go and, and kick, uh, kill one of those animals that you, you know, you know I like those animals. And, and you just prepare something nice and good. And after you do these things, I'm going to give my blessing to you. And so you go ahead and do that. Rebecca is listening in the wings and has a habit of doing so evidently. According to one of the verbs, it has a continuing action. And, and so she's listening in and, and she says, you know what, Jacob, things are about to go down here. We need to work in a hurry. And so we can't let this happen. Uh, Jacob, you go get some, uh, get some, uh, um, goat skin. I've got a goat skin. I happen to have some goat hair, uh, gloves for you to wear and some things to put on your neck here. And, and, uh, I've got some goat and I've prepared it. I've got a recipe that makes it taste like wild game. And you go get this. And I just got to happen, happen to have some clothes here. That's Esau's. And you go put that on and you go get that blessing. And so Jacob comes along. So yes, mama. Yes, mama. And so he does, and he has all this done, and, and the father, Isaac's coming, says, you know, is that really you? You sound like Jacob. Let me feel your arms. He said, well, that, that feels like Esau. That's a hairy dude. If goat hair can, a goat skin can replace his arm and his neck, uh, that's hair right there. And so he says, well, all right, well, let's, uh, let's try this out. He says, man, this is some good stuff here. And he says, but you know what? You really, you really sound like Jacob. I don't, I don't get this. And he, and he says, why, why don't you give, him, give the old dad a kiss here? Give him, give him a, a peck on the cheek. And, and he does. And as he does, he smells the, 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 the clothing. He says, well, he smells like, like uh, Esau. His eyes have gone at this point, And that's why he's having to rely on all these senses. And he says, okay. Well, uh, Esau, I, I'm going to give you my blessing. And he goes off and he, and he gives him the blessing and says the earth is going to be a blessing and the dew of the earth is going to be a bountiful to you. And as well as, as you'll see that he, he brings in the blessings of God that God had given Abraham and given to Isaac. And now he is giving to his own son as well. Uh, that these, those who curse him will be cursed and those who bless him will be blessed. And he starts throwing that in and, and, and Jacob goes on his way. About the time he gets out of the tent, Esau's coming in. Just miss each other. Esau says, here you go, Daddy. I did just what you asked. This time, Isaac's trembling. He's shocked. What has happened? And he realized that he had given the blessings away. Esau realized it, and he is furious. He's angry. He's crying. He says, Daddy, Daddy. Bless me. I need your blessings. There's not something you can bless me with. He says, I've just got but one, Esau. May you serve your brother. May you serve your brother. And you serve him. And you're going to live by the sword. But there will be a day when that yoke will be broken from you. And Esau is crying bitterly. And he goes out saying to himself, when the chance comes, I'm going to kill my brother. I'm going to kill my brother. And, and Rebecca gets word, gets, gets a word about the attitude and thoughts and intents of Esau. And so she devises a scheme and says, okay, how can I protect my favorite son? And says uh, to, uh, to Isaac, you know what? Esau's husbands, they just frustrate me. 
They annoy me. I can't get along. My life is miserable because these. if Jacob does the same thing, my life won't be worth living. I.e., if my life isn't worth living, Isaac, your life won't be worth living either. Isaac starts thinking, oh, a happy wife is a happy life. Let's devise a plan. He says, Jacob, you need to go back to your homeland, go back to your mother's family, and you go back to her brother Jabin, you, Laban, and you pick out one of her, his wives, or his daughters, to be your wife. You go and, and get out. And all this to avoid Esau. Esau gets word of this and figures out, hey, you know what? They must not like the women around here. I need to get in good with my parents because it's hurting me big time. And so he starts marrying uh, a daughter of Ishmael. That's it in a nutshell. I encourage you to read it (laughs) because I missed out some things. But that's in a nutshell. But let's look at this story and see what happens. What are the voices here? First of all, in this dysfunctional family, let's look first at the voice of Isaac. The voice of Isaac is that of willful disobedience. Willful disobedience. What what do I mean by willful disobedience? He knows what God's desires are, are. He knows his intent. He knows his commands. And yet knowing these things, he deliberately goes around them and avoids them and tries to do otherwise. Remember, right down here, Genesis chapter 25, verse 23, that was God's revelation to, to Isaac. This is what's going to happen. Jacob must be the one that God uses and blesses. He knows these things, and yet, notice what he does. He sets up a plot, a scheme, and this scheme is throughout this chapter. Blessings are throughout this chapter, because all this is about obtaining God's blessing. That's what all this is about, getting God's blessing and how to do it. Well, he does it by willful disobedience. He says, I don't care what God says. Esau is my favorite son because he feeds me well and my appetite is satisfied with Esau. And I just like him because he's a man's man. And I just like who he is. And, and I, want, I want to get him uh, in this position of blessing. I want to do that. And so, notice, we have no indication that Isaac is consulting with Rebekah. This is a plot that Isaac is working against Jacob. Undoubtedly, Isaac would have learned about the earlier story where Esau traded his birthright to Jacob for a a bed of stew. That was not a private matter. It was done in the public among the shepherds. And uh, Isaac would have known known about that. But he does it anyway. Willful disobedience. Here is something that we get from this. Husbands, fathers, it is our job it is our job to know the will of God. It is our job to consult the commandments of the Lord. It is our job to teach the commands of the Lord. And it is our job to follow the commands of the Lord. And I often thought to myself, if Isaac just would have had a heart to relay the thoughts of God, to put aside his own desires and to accommodate God's desires, how much more of this could have been avoided? If the man just did his job and knowing the will of God and communicating the will of God. But what dictated Isaac? It was his desires, his appetites. You notice what the the Bible says here? As we read this passage together, we find that when Esau comes, he says, uh, verse 3, I pray thee, take your weapons, go hunt, take me some venison, verse 4, and make me 
savory meat. Ah, I can taste it now such as I love. And bring it to me that I may eat. That my soul may bless thee before I die. Notice how he connects the father blessing with satisfying his appetite. There's a connection there. Listen, I just wonder, what if Isaac's soul appetite was not that of food, but what if his appetite was the will of God? What if his appetite was to know him? What if he said to himself, Psalm 34, 8, that taste and see that the Lord is good? What if that was his desire? How much different would it have been when Esau saw what satisfies, what gets his father ticking? You think he would have been shaped differently? Friends, you need to understand, as fathers, our children are acutely aware of what makes us tick. There seems to be within their hearts, I don't know why, but God has put within their hearts a desire to want to please mommy and daddy. They want to know what makes them tick. And they strive and they work to say, God, Daddy, look at me. Look at me. Are you happy? Are you blessed with what I do? And when they find that appetite, that desire of daddy, they'll work toward it. They'll work toward it. What if Isaac's desire was to say, Oh, Esau, I've heard a word from the Lord today, and I've been, sad, I've been crying out for that, I've been praying for it, I've been desiring God's word, and here it is! And had the delight of his heart. We live in a day and time where fathers have desires that go all kinds of ways. And rest assured, our children will follow those desires. I think about uh, how our children will follow us in sports because we think, oh, I wish I could have been a star in sports, and so now maybe my children could be a star in sports. Or I wish I had straight A's, or I wish I did better of academics, and that's my desire. And so our children follow and trying to get these desires for academics satisfied in their parents. And, and if we're not careful... Our children's lifestyles are dictated by the appetites of the parents that are godless appetites. That's a problem. That's a difficulty. Came across the story this past week of Tom Brady. Tom Brady. Many of you who follow football know exactly who Tom Brady is. He is the young man that has led uh, New England Patriots uh, for three Super Bowl uh, trophies. He started at the age of 30. Age of 30. He's about my age now. Uh, somewhere thereabout. And now he's out for the year because of a season-ending in, injury. He did an article, our interview with 60 Minutes. In this article, they, they mentioned that former football greats say he exemplifies what the American athlete should be. Yet he barely made it to the NFL at all. He's always been a, many of the high school and college careers a second stringer. Working toward his goal. It wasn't picked until the sixth round of the NFL draft. Of NFL draft. It wasn't until an injury to Drew Brees came. That he was able to, to come in and show what he had. And take it all the way to the Super Bowl. And within five months of, of getting in the starting position. He's been invited by the president in 2004. The State of Union Dress has an audience with the Pope. Pope and has hosted uh, Saturday Night Live. He has all these opportunities that have been given to him. And in many ways he exemplifies what's best about Sports in the NFL. But it's interesting. After getting a 60 million 10 year contract to play for the Patriots. Turning down multi-million dollar endorsement deals. Because he didn't think they were right for him. He, he made this statement. 
But with all Brady's fame and career accomplishments, Croft was surprised to hear this from him. Why do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would say, hey, man, this is what is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. Me, I think, God, it's got to be more than this. I mean, this isn't, this can't be what it's all cracked to be. What's the answer? I wish I knew. I wish I knew, said Brady. I love playing football and love being quarterback for this team. But at the same time, I think there are a lot of other parts about me that I'm trying to find. With three Super Bowl rings, he already has the Hall of Fame credentials, even if never played another game. But he was only 30 and just entering his prime. I wished that there was someone in his life to say, you know what, it's good to play, it's fun, enjoy, it is a gift from God. But know this, that though you enjoy your life, there will be a day and time when there will be accounting before God, and that is what we live for. It is to have a relationship with the Lord. If there was someone within his life as he was growing up to show him to have an appetite for the things of God and say, this is what life is about. Enjoy these things that are a gift. But know that the reason for living is not whether or not you can throw a football and you can lead a team. Because what do you do when your knee gets blown out? What do you do when you reach all that can be reached in the pinnacle of which you're in? There must be more that you live for. If there could be a daddy to show him that appetite. There is willful disobedience in Isaac's life. Knowing the things of God, he chooses not to follow these things. But as we keep on reading, we'll find another voice. It is the voice of Rebecca. Rebecca, I call the willful puppet master. The willful puppet master. Here she is. She knows what God wants. I mean, God has revealed it to her that it's not going to be Esau, it's going to be Jacob. And, and it just so happens that, that Jacob likes all the things that Rebecca likes. And, and you know, they, I'm sure he's a big help to her and, and uh, rounding the household. And, and so she has a heart toward Jacob. And so when she finds out and it's revealed that Isaac's conniving, that Isaac is trying to get things done behind her back, she's thinking, oh no. That's not what God wants. I know what God wants. Isaac, he's just a stubborn old man. He's not doing anything right. I, it's clear I've got to take charge. Because Isaac's not taking charge. What can I do to make sure that God's will be done? And so she sees herself as the general manager of the universe. Okay. I've got a plan for this. And brings in the son. And it seems that this is a prior, a pre-planned idea. I mean, after all, she's already got goat gloves. I don't, you know, I don't know what you do with goat gloves. Uh, but she's got them there. She's got the recipe. She knows how to make game, a goat taste like wild game. She's got his clothes, Esau's clothes. Let me, let me bring you this little thought here. This blew my mind as I studied this. How old do you think Jacob and Esau are here? Maybe 20 30? Well, if we do our math right and looking at other passages and comparing Joseph's age with Jacob's age and knowing that Esau or Isaac is 60 years older than Jacob, if he's 137, these boys are 77. Esau is not living at home anymore. All right? He's got his wives. He's got his own abode. And he's been married for 37 years. What's, what's uh, Rebecca doing with his clothes? 
she's got these clothes here. There's some prior planning going on. So just don't chalk this up to a foolish young age. This is a 77-year-old doing these things with much older parents. And so here she is. She's got the plan. And she's the puppet master. She has said, I've got it figured out. That my old, my old husband, he's trying to, trying to disobey things. He's trying to mess things all up. I've got to get it straight. What should Rebecca have done? Well, the Bible speaks clearly about communication. <laughs> Important thing here. She doesn't talk to Isaac about this. And you get the idea they haven't talked for a good long while. Somewhere along the way, they stopped communicating about God's will for their heart. God's will for There is so much promise. It could have been a blessed marriage, but somewhere along the way, they let the little things start snipping at them, their agendas versus her agenda, and it became him versus her, and it came relayed out to between the kids, him versus her, now it's Esau versus Jacob, and sooner or later it becomes nation versus nation, and it all started with two individuals, a husband and a wife, that saw themselves as going at it with each other. Friends, when you are married, it is not a husband versus a wife. It is a husband and a wife versus a problem. You do not let issues divide you. You are one before God. If I could just get you to the point when it all started and say that to you and before it time went on and division came on and time just made it worse so that there's this cold callousness and you two are just living together and not married, just kind of sitting next to one another, having the same tent. (laughs) Here, that's what's going on with these two. They don't talk about spiritual things. It's happened for a long time. They view each other as adversarial. And she is not talking to Isaac about these issues. She's just taking charge. Being the puppet master and gets Jacob in. And and think about it. She wants Jacob to be the one. Not Esau. But notice what she gets out of this thing. When you read the story. At the end. There is an estranged marriage. She's getting, she gets known as a schemer, a manipulator. And the hopes of protecting and blessing her favorite son. And in the story, she never sees him again. He gets sent off. And as the Bible tells us, there is no indication that Jacob and Rebecca see one another for the rest of their life. The last memory of a son of his mother is a mother sending him off to get married. Because the brother was trying to kill him. Last time Isaac sees his son, Jacob, is at this moment when he sends them off and gives them the blessing of finding a wife. That's what happens here. Willful puppet master. Listen, if this was of God, if God had said, this is going to happen, then why, why did Rebecca think that she could do it on her own? If it's God's command, If it's God's mandate, it's going to be done God's way. All she had to do, talk to Isaac. That's her part. Isaac, I believe you're making a big mistake. God's already given a verdict out here. And if you go this way, you do not go against me. You go against God. 
and let God fight the battle. But instead of letting God fight the battle, she had to stand up and fight. And she lost because she didn't let God do the battling. When you see the mistakes of other people, you let them know, I believe you're making a mistake. And if you're right, if you're right that they're making a mistake, then put them in the hands of God and let God show them how it needs to be done. That's a good word for marriage. When you're married to one another, yes, there's a point in time when you share with them that I believe that there is a mistake that you're making, that your priorities are wrong in this, and you just know that that's my thought, that's my feeling. And at that moment, that's all you got to do. That's all you got to say. Saying it one more time is going to make it even more real. You tell them, and you pray, and say, you don't have to answer to me. You answer to God and let God deal with it. But then we come to Jacob. Jacob is the willful con artist. You've got the willful disobedient leader. You've got the willful puppet master, Rebecca. But you've got the willful con artist. And as she, she comes and brings Jacob in. And, and Jacob's already you know, schemed out his brother on the birthright. And he, we, we know that he desires the birthright. He wants the birthright. Poor Esau, he, he could care less about it, under, understanding the value of what's there uh, and the spiritual blessing. And so Jacob, Jacob says, okay, mom, okay, mom, okay. And as she relays the plan to Jacob, notice Jacob's questions as, as it comes. Rebecca tells him how it's going to go down, how you're going to wear, uh, how she's going to trick Isaac. We keep on reading in verse 11. And Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, Behold, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I'm a smooth man. My father, he'll fill me, and he'll see that, that I'm a deceiver, and I'll bring a curse upon me, and not a blessing. And yet, what's he concerned about? Mom, I can't believe you're about to lie to your husband. I can't believe that you're going to just do this deceit. You see any horror in Jacob's life like, I don't want any part of that. You know what? He's, he's thinking, but mom, what if I get caught? There is no recalling at the nature of the events. The re- only recalling, only the horror is that what if I get caught? Mom, you're ban- I hope you got more details of this because I don't see this working. And so instead of encouraging her to be honest and encourage her to give this over to God, he's encouraging her to be more clever about these things. He is the willful carnarch, and so as he comes to the daddy, he's got he's got his goat hair on. He's got the Esau's garments on. Uh, he's got the the goat uh, prepared goat in front of him, and then he starts talking to his father. And notice in verse nineteen, their lies start to roll. Three main lies: I am Esau, thy firstborn. Firstborn. Lie number one: I've done according to this thou hast bid me. Lie number two, I pray, eat this venison that the soul might bless me. And, and Isaac's wonder, man, you know, that was record time. How'd you kill us, prepare this, and, and get it all done? And, and notice verse 20, lie number three, because the Lord thy God brought it to me. Doesn't that get to you, that last one? I just kind of, because he's being pious about it. Oh, I'm a God-fearing man. The Lord's blessed me in this. I hear this from time to time 
where folks deceive themselves thinking that this is the will of God. They're not, even though it's, it's blatantly going against God's direction and the word of God. And they'll say, God has given me such a peace about this. That's not peace. That's not peace. That's just you giving up on God. There's no fight anymore. You're not fighting God anymore. You just said no to him and God stopped fighting and that's the peace you feel. It's clearly written in the word of God. When God gives you clear directions, that is the will of God. Don't deceive yourself and think that it feels so right. How could it be so right? God must give me this joy, this pleasure. If this wasn't God's will, then this wouldn't happen. And they sound so pious about it. That sounds similar to what's going on here. Oh, Daddy, the Lord just provided this for me. Flat out lie, given by his mom, deceit all over his lips, but draped so nicely. Sir Walter Scott said, Oh, what a tangle web we weave when at first we practice to deceive and see the tangle go. Willful con artist. So what did Jacob get on all this? All these material blessings? He didn't get them. He didn't get them. Why? Because he was running for his life for the next 20 years away from his family, afraid that his brother might kill him. Yes, he became the one that God used in his line, but he did not receive the material blessings that often come, which may have been his chief motivation to begin with. He lost it all, lost his mother, lost his father. This was the last time he would see him. Now, Esau. We've got voice of Isaac, the leader, being willfully disobedient. You've got Rebecca, the willful puppet master. You've got Jacob, the willful conars, being volunteering, being part of this. Esau, willful presumption. Willful presumption. What do we mean by this? Remember, Esau, he has already traded out his birthright. He knows that this should not be coming to him because he has given it up for a, a bowl of stew a long time ago. Now, you remember how this story begins, uh, right as we started here, and, and verse 26, verse 34, it tells us that, that Esau was marrying the people around him, two women around in this area. God had already given word to Abraham not to marry these women because these people would go continue more and more in sin. In fact, when Isaac came along, he was a servant was sent off to find a wife that was not of this household, but Esau could care less about it. He's already married. He has already disqualified himself for the blessing. Knowing trading the birthright. But he too being driven by his desires. First for stew. And then evidently a sexual desire as well. And marrying the women around him. But when his daddy comes up with this plan. He's like. Okay. That sounds good. Yeah you know I've, I've got all this, this history. This background. That, and I've traded my birthright. But you know you found a way for me to get it anyway. Sounds good daddy. Let me go ahead and get some goat, or get some wild game. I'll be right back, Daddy. I'm going to prepare it. And I think this is going to come to me anyway, despite whatever God had said earlier, uh, despite what I had done earlier, despite the fact that I've got uh, two wives. He, he doesn't even realize. He's not even aware of how his family's impacted because of his choice in wives. He's just oblivious. He's just following his own desires. Presumptuous, thinking, sure, I can get God's blessings. 
despite the fact that I've compromised in God a long time ago. Friends, you need to be careful. If we're sitting here and we're thinking, you know what, I'm going to get God's blessings in my life and, and I, I, I think that these things are going to work out for me and, and God's going to lead me and, and all the while you've got sin in your heart, sin in your life that you've let sit there and settle and it's firmly planted in your tent. <laughs> That's presumptuous to think that we are going to get the, the, all that God has in store for us when we are not giving all to God. And so Esau continues along his way. And when it's all said and done, he realizes the blessings given out to Jacob. And he says, Daddy, Daddy, isn't there something for me? Can you imagine a 77-year-old man on his knees and say, Daddy, I want a blessing from you. I've lived for you. I've satisfied your desires. What I thought you enjoyed, I lived for those things too. Is there no blessing for me, Daddy? His dad said, Oh, son. I can only give you one thing. Follow your brother well. Serve him well. They'll be in daytime. You won't serve him anymore. And he went out bitter and tears, realizing it was too late. Too late. He could not go back and undo what he did. He tried. He thought, oh, you mean my choice of, of wives are a problem? <laughs> well, let me just... Try to make that up. I'm going to marry Ishmael's daughter. I mean, after all, that's, that's Abraham's stepbrother, half-brother. That ought to count for something. But you see how clueless this is? He doesn't even realize that that is the one that God has said, no, they are to be put away, cast away from the promised seed. He doesn't know these things. Why does Esau not know these things? Why is he not aware of God's direction and God's will and how he's worked in history? Could it be that dear old dad was more concerned about whether he would call it the wild game than whether or not he was catching the will of God? Could it be that Isaac, who was aware of these things, aware of the history of how God has worked, aware of Ishmael and all that God has said about Ishmael, could it be that he did not tell Esau? You get the idea that he is just oblivious because his spiritual leader never took it serious. Let me just bring this to your attention, dads. What if we stopped doing Sunday school? What if we stopped having children's choir? What if we stopped having faith girls and, and stopped having narrators on Wednesday evenings? You think, well, what kind of church is this? I mean, you don't care about our children? You're not making them a priority? We're going to lose a whole generation. And I would agree. I'd say, yes, we are being negligent. But listen, if we did not have those things, your children should know the word of God. Your children should know how to walk in the way of the Lord. Because the primary responsibility is not to the Sunday school, is not to the narrators, is not to the faith girls, is not to the children's choir, and it's not to me, except for the three that God has given me. God has given the primary responsibility to you, dads. There are no dads in your life if you are... Uh, the wife and you're making it on your own then you think well what can I do friends don't shirk the good you know you can do just because it's more difficult you know it's kind of interesting when Sunday school started it was started for families that didn't go to church it started for the children that had no parents in the streets 
because there were no parents teaching them. And when they first started a Sunday school, it would have been absurd to think that believing parents would have had their children in Sunday school. That would have been ridiculous. What are you doing here? These are for the children that don't have parents. What's the assumption behind that? <laughs> you don't need Sunday school because you've got mom and dad teaching you. I just want you to know the history. Because I think some things have been lost. And the fact that church does teach children. That parents think, it's okay, I'll send them to church. I'm glad you do. But what would be even more is for you to be obedient. Say, oh, I make a sacrifice. Bringing my kids to church. I mean, after all, I could be doing many things on a Sunday. I only have a day or two off. Doesn't God appreciate my sacrifice? Obedience is better than sacrifice. Dads, moms, it is you to teach the children. Yes, there's a dysfunctional family and there are some sad fruit. But let me share with you the last voice. It's the voice of God. What is the voice of God? It is that God is sovereign. You look at this and you think, oh my goodness, <laughs> the lineage, God's going to have to start all over. I mean, look at Isaac. I mean, no. Here's something that just busts my heart. God takes the sin of people and they're trying to work against God. Esau is trying to work against God. Isaac is trying to work against God. God, And, and Rebecca is trying to work against God and how she's doing it. And, and Jacob, he just wants more money. You know, huh. how can God's will be done? Romans 8, chapter, 20, chapter 8, verse 28. A verse often quoted in times of adversity, in times of tragedy. But I think also it's a good verse to keep in mind in times of sin. All things work together for good to those who are called according to whose purpose who are love, who love God. What am I saying? All things, including when humans mess up, when people sin, when daddy sin, when mommy sins, when the children sin, and they are not right with their relationship with God and consequently are not right with one another, somehow God can even take that, these delivered acts to thwart God's will and says, you think you're thwarting me? The very acts you use to thwart my purpose, I use to bring it about. And God used all these purposes. Sure enough, Jacob does find the daughters of Laban. Sure enough, he becomes the one that God uses to bless the world. But it could have been so much different. I think it could have been done without the 20 years of isolation from mom and dad. It could have been done without the estrangement between mom and dad. It could have been done without the hate between Esau and Jacob. If things had been done in the harmony of the Lord, but nonetheless they uh, rised up in their own ways and their own wills, and yet God still used it. I'm reminded of Jesus. Jesus also had promise on his life. He was, in fact, the pinnacle of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, from which all things have existed up to this point in Jesus Christ. And he was to be the promised Messiah. He was the one to be the leader, the king over the Jews, the king over all the nations. And the people of his day did not like it either. And they tried to thwart Jesus. <laughs> but here's what he had to say. And Peter said later on, this stone, this stone the people have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. You try to thwart me. You try to make it so I'm not the king. And you put me on a cross. You nail me on the cross. Fine. God can take the cross. 
and he'll put them in the tomb. You think you're going to seal that tomb? You can put Roman soldiers around it? Fine, you do that. God uses it to bring the glory of God still and shows that his power is greater than the acts of men. And so we have this stone that was rejected by the priests, by the leaders, becoming the chief cornerstone of our faith, despite what man tried to do. Here is the word of comfort in our life. We look back and we think, oh, my life is so messed up. I've made so many bad decisions. And, and, and these, these miserable folks I'm married to, these miserable folks in my family, they make mistakes. And i got to bear with all their responsibilities and their decisions. And I feel the impact. It's no hope. Friends, there is hope. Because God is greater than our sin. That's the voice of God in all this. It's a dysfunctional family, but when God looks over the household of this world, every household is dysfunctional. How do we remedy a dysfunctional? You get your heart right with God. And every day, you seek God's will. It goes back to, again, a lesson that Isaac had learned to some extent, but not to his family. Seek first the kingdom of God. And his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Let's pray. Father. The story. Has too much of reality in it. It gets uncomfortable. And it lets us know. That we don't live. In a world. That you don't know. Our lifestyle is not one that's hidden from you. You know what we go through. You know what we deal with. And Lord, these people that have come before us, they didn't live in, in mountaintops. They didn't live on uh, ivory thrones. They lived in the world as we know it. But praise you, Lord, that as we look back, we learn about you, the main character in this story, and the voice that determined all voices. And Lord, when it came down to it, all these people try to get your blessings, try to accomplish your will, but never bent their knee before you. Lord, as we try to live life, we don't want to live life regrets and remorse. And the lesson here is bend our knee before you. Subject every desire to your will and wait on you to see how you work. God, if that is something that is foreign to our heart, that you would inject it with your Holy Spirit using this word so that it bears fruit and change attitudes, change minds, and change lifestyles of proclaiming you, Lord. I pray this in your name. Amen. Invitation is how we begin. I invite you to bend your knee before God. Maybe it's to wait on God to accomplish his purposes his way. Maybe it's to subject your desires and your wills and your, your whims to what God has already told you to do. And to acknowledge that God is king. One way or the other, we're going to bend our knee and proclaim him Lord. It's a lot easier if we start now. Let's stand as we sing. I have decided